This morning we'll be in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. John, of the four Gospels, four Gospel writers, writes in the most simple of Greek. It's a very simple Greek. He doesn't use a lot of flattery words. Um, but yet, it seems that John is one of the deepest of the four Gospels. You've heard it said before that whenever you're trying to tell somebody to get into the Word of God, tell them to start in the Gospel of John. If you have an, an agnostic friend or an atheist friend, tell them to read the Gospel of John. Uh, you have a direct encounter with Jesus Christ as you go through this Gospel of John. Jesus is making his way through uh, Galilee, and as he's going, the Gospel of John doesn't give us the beginning of Jesus so much. It talks about he was, he was in the beginning, he was the beginning, he was the Word, he was in the beginning with God. But he doesn't give the, the, the narrative of the birth like Matthew and Luke do. So John just kind of jumps right into the ministry of Jesus. He's calling his disciples. And in the midst of all this, great, a great number of people are coming to hear about Jesus. They're coming to see his miracles. Just like, in fact, if you saw somebody doing miracles, you'd probably want to go and see that again. And so they're actually seeing blind eyes open. They're seeing deaf ears be unstopped. They're seeing mute tongues begin to speak. And these people are gathering around Jesus. And I'm going to back up in John, just John chapter 2, the, the three verses there, 23 through 25. I want to read those first. John chapter 2, 23. Now while Jesus was in Jerusalem all, at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Now, remember that, that, that term, believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Now, have that in your mind as we get ready to read these next verses, because it says they believed in him. But it wasn't a saving belief. There's a big difference between a belief and a saving belief. I'd say most people in Sherwood believe in Jesus, but it's not a saving belief in Jesus. Would you all agree with that? There is a difference between saying, I believe in Jesus, and then a saving belief, a belief that saves you. And so Jesus sees their faith, but he doesn't entrust himself to them because he knows their hearts. So let's look now at chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? 
I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. May God add blessing to the reading and doing of his holy word today. Born from above. Born from above. That's the message title. Or born again would be another title. They mean the same exact thing. Born from above or born again. Take your pick. Uh, here's my outline. We're going to work through this. The sinner's worry, the Savior's word, and the Spirit's work. Pretty simple, right? No. This is so deep. I feel like I'm floating sometimes in these scriptures. They're so deep. But we're going to talk about the sinner's worry, Nicodemus, the Savior's word, and the Spirit's work as we go through this passage today. It's interesting. Three times in chapter 3, 3, 5, and 11, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Why? Why, why is Jesus saying this to Nicodemus? Because Nicodemus has bought into a lie. He thinks he is doing all the right things. He thinks he is okay spiritually. And Jesus is saying to him, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you the truth. So listen up, Nicodemus. You've been hearing a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you the truth. And Jesus is going to speak the very words of life to Nicodemus with the hope that he will hear these words and put them into practice. So first, the sinner's worry. <laughs> Talking about Nicodemus, this, this guy, he, he wants to talk to Jesus, and he comes to him at night. He comes with a very, very profound ache in his heart. He has sinner's worry, we call it. He is full of anxiety, fear, and dread. Um, if you know that you're not right with God... You have an angst in your heart. You have a worry in your heart. You don't want to live like that. And you're always thinking, well, if Jesus comes back, would I make it to heaven? That's a sinner's worry. That's a good thing. That's God knocking at your heart's door. You should be worried. You should have angst. You should have fear. If you are not right with God, you should be scared, my friend. God will come back one of these days through his son, Jesus Christ, and he'll gather up all those who love him. And Jesus will knock on your heart's door until that time. But at some point, in the twinkling of an eye, Jesus will come back. He'll split that eastern sky and he'll gather all of his saints to be with him forever in the air, to be with him in, 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 the, uh, in heaven. It's interesting that if you're not in that number, while you're waiting, while we're all waiting, if you're not right with the Lord, you've got this dread, this anxiety, this fear. And you should be afraid. I'm not trying to scare you. You just listen to God. And the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. So you should fear him to have that. Why? Because Nicodemus is a hypocrite. 
all Pharisees were hypocrites. In Matthew 23, Jesus called them hypocrites repeatedly. They were like whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside, but inside full of dead men's bones. They were sons of hell who made more sons of hell by their faulty teaching. They were hypocrites. One of those sons of hell was Nicodemus. He is the teacher in Israel. He is the head of the Sanhedrin. Elevated, the most noble, and maybe the most respected of all the teachers of Judaism in its apostate form at that time. He's a member of the Supreme Court of Israel. He's ascended to that level. He is at the top of the hypocritical pile. He could look good. Mm -mm, He could look good. He could talk well. He knew other languages. He was probably the third richest man in Jerusalem, Josephus tells us. He was wealthy. He was large and in charge, and he was at the top of this pile of Phariseeism. Hypocrites. And he comes to Jesus at night. He's a very important figure with a huge fear in his heart. He doesn't know God. He has no assurance of heaven. He does not believe that he is reconciled to God. He's full of angst. He comes to Jesus in the hope that maybe Jesus can tell him what's missing. He's convinced that Jesus is a teacher sent from God. He's religious. This is dangerous, folks. It's dangerous to be religious and not to have a relationship with Jesus. It's dangerous. To have a form of godliness but to deny the power thereof is a dangerous place to be. Well, I go to church and I make sure I put my tithe in and I hold it up a little bit before I place it in the offering plate so everybody can see I'm tithing. And then I go to Sunday school and I'm on time and I participate in the discussion. I'm the last one to leave the church. Nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. Don't get me wrong. We need churchmen in the church. Mr. Harold Springer showed us that. We need churchmen in the church. But it's got to be based on a relationship with Jesus. I imagine that, that Nicodemus, he probably could have taught a Sunday school class at Brockington Road. I think he probably could have worked in the nursery. I think he would have been trusted. I think he could have handled the money of the church. I think he could have been a board member in the Church of the Nazarene. I think Nicodemus could have been the preacher at the Church of the Nazarene. And he was lost. He was without God. He was on his way to hell. He was a hypocrite. And he didn't even know how to get to God. Think about that. There are false converts in every church. That's just what the Bible talks about. There'll be faulty Christians all around. The love of most will grow cold in the end times, Jesus said. So there there may be people in this room who think that they are right with God and they are far from God. They're religious, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. That causes a sinner's worry. Nicodemus was the leader of the Pharisaical Judaism. He was devoted to counterfeit religion, devoted to a satanic system that called itself Judaism, attached itself to Old Testament, but taught salvation by morality and religious works. He was living in fear because he knew in his heart he was a hypocrite and he was lost. (laughs) Lost people. You say, what are you talking about? Religious but lost. Well, the Pharisees in Matthew 23. How about Saul of Tarsus? He's on his, on his way to go and torture Christians for God. He thinks he's doing this for God. 
How about the Ethiopian eunuch who's on his way to worship and he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah and he is lost, is lost. He's religious. He's going to worship God, but he's lost. How about Cornelius? He's devout, but he did not know the gospel. How about the church at Laodicea in Revelation 3? They were Christians, but they were lukewarm. Oh, grab that drink. You think you're going to have a nice icy cold drink and you drink it and it's just tepid. You're like, and you want to spit it out. That stuff makes God sick too. He doesn't want lukewarm Christians. What about you? This isn't the end of the sermon. This is point one. But I'm going to get right to the end right now. What about you? We are religious. I am religious. Nothing wrong with being religious, having habits that are good. But make sure that they're based on a relationship with our Savior. Don't miss heaven by coming to church. What I mean by that is, don't put your faith in church attendance. You should be here. I'm here. This is God's idea. It's not mine. We should be in church each week, no doubt. But why are we in church? It's because the Spirit of God lives in us and prompts us to come. So that was the sinner's worry. Now we're going to move on to the Savior's work or word. The Savior's word. Here's his word. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Some translations say born from above. Same idea. It's, it's out of this world birth. It's not a natural birth. It's a spiritual birth. Born squared. It's born, times, it's born again. Anothen is the Greek word. It means born again or from above. It's not something we can produce down here. It's something that God gives from heaven like a gift. Born again. There's physical birth. There's spiritual birth. The spiritual birth is only from above. Um, God blessed my wife and I with four awesome kids. I remember after our, we had two boys and uh, we were in Lakeland, Florida. And uh, lo and behold, somehow Shree was expecting again. We don't even know how it happened. And so she's expecting. And we go to the hospital and uh, it was on a Sunday. We went to the hospital I think uh, I'd gone on to church, and she was at home getting Asher and Elijah ready, and she, we didn't have cell phones in those days. You had to actually, like, throw rocks through windows with messages on them. No, I'm kidding. We, we, had, we had telephones, uh, not cell phones. And so somebody called at the church. She called the church, and somebody came and got me and said, need to call your wife. She's having a baby. And I was like, well, I don't know. This is not the right time. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> got Cherie, went to the hospital, and I remember she had this beautiful baby girl, and, and we could find out what we were having, but we never did with any of our four kids. We wanted it to be a surprise, you know, so we never found out with any of them. People thought we were so weird. Uh, we are, but it has nothing to do with that. So anyway, little baby girl, and I remember the, the doctor, after she was delivered, gave Chloe to Shreve, just put her right on Shreve's chest, and I remember just leaning down right by both of them and looking at Chloe, and still wet, and and looking at her, and I, I said to Cherie, let's have another one. <laughs> yeah, I did. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I was just so in love with that little girl. I, I said, let's have another one. And she just kind of, give me a second. You know, she's thinking. You know, there was nothing that Chloe could do to be born. It was not her choice to be born. 
She didn't do anything in the whole process. She had nothing to do with her birth. It was from the outside. Now Jesus gives another picture here of spiritual birth, birth from above, born again. And there is nothing we can do to be born again. Now, now hear me out. There's nothing we can do to show God that we're now worth it. There's nothing we can do religiously to help in that process. We are helpless. We are lost. We are running from God. We are sinners. Now, we do believe in God's provenient grace that comes and he knocks on our heart's door. He knocks and we respond to his grace. But there's nothing we can do in the process to get saved. There's nothing we can do to be born again. No more than Chloe could do anything to be born the first time. That, that was somebody else's wishes that, that she was conceived. She was born, but to be born again is out of our hands. And Nicodemus thought he had a hand in being born again, maybe. Maybe he thought he was right on his own, but he wasn't. Ephesians 2 says, you're dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians 4, you're cut off from the life of God. Nicodemus is a dead man. He's a blind man, an ignorant man, a hopeless man, and on top of that, a hypocrite. It's impossible to get into God's kingdom unless you're born from above or born again. Anothen is our word. It's impossible to get into heaven. This is the word of Jesus. Jesus said this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Folks, can I tell you, as nice as you are and as, as holy as you are and as cordial as you are, none of you woke up and thought, I'm going to get saved today. None of you ever came to the altar on your own accord. None of you ever thought, you know what, it's about time that I get right with God. I think I'll do it today. I think I'll, I'll give my life to Jesus today. No, you're not that smart. You're not that holy. Our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. Who can understand the heart? We are wicked and sinful and devilish. We're blind. We're lost. We're, we're beggars. And Jesus comes to us through his Holy Spirit, and he gives us the invitation to life. You didn't come to God. God came to you. And Jesus is still waiting on some of you to come to him. He's given you invitation, but you're still out there waiting. Jesus said in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't sign up for God's team. God picked you. God selected you. All those who come to him by faith will be saved. That's his choice. He sets up the game rules. He says only those who come by faith can come. Therefore, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Anothen, here, here's our word again. Every good and perfect gift comes from, from above. It's not me climbing some kind of ecclesiastical ladder, some church ladder. It's not me trying to climb some moral ladder. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. He blesses us with eternal life. It's his choice. It's his mercy. It's his goodness. What I'm trying to say is none of us came to God on our own. He supernaturally assisted every one of us to come to him. Aren't you thankful that he came to you? Amen. Me too. 
The wisdom from above, here's this word, anothen. The wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, impartial and sincere. That's from James. Wisdom from above is pure. I want you to turn your Bibles to Numbers 21. Clear back in the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers 21. 21, 4 through 9. This will give you a little bit of a, a picture of what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. The children of Israel are going through the desert. They're making their way to the promised land. Verse 4, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. Everybody say impatient. Do you ever get impatient? Yeah, me too. They grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. They're whiny, complainy babies. Verse six, whoa. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. Who? They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Okay, that's the picture we get from Jesus in this John account here, okay? Just as Moses was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. You get the picture? Healing comes not from within, but from without, born from above. It's not us climbing up on a cross ourselves. It's receiving what Christ did for us while he was on the cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him, they shall not perish, but they will have eternal life. God so loved. God so loved the world. I've heard it said that the gospel in a nutshell is John 3.16. If you want to know all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in one sentence, here it is, John 3.16. I would encourage you to commit that to memory if you don't have it already. God loves you. God came to you. His love was commended toward us that we might be saved. God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> for God so loved. This word is agape. It's God's love. This is the love that moves in the interest of others with no thought for itself. Agape is willing to risk all for the possible advantage of another. This is the first time in John that this word agape is used right here, John 3.16. This is the love of a mother. I don't know if you heard the story. It's been a couple of years ago. There was a mother, I think it was in New York City, that her house was on fire. She woke up to a house on fire, called Dwayne Smith, somebody. Uh, house is on fire, and she senses it. She runs, and she grabs two of her three kids, and she gets them out the door. And in a panic, she's just trying to get them out. And she, she thinks she's got all of her kids. She's just in a panic. And she hears crying from the back room and she pushes those two kids out and she runs back into this house that's now just billowing with smoke and flames. And she runs back and she grabs that third child and she takes in too much smoke, the mother, and she begins to cough and choke and she begins to pass out and she falls to the ground and she's trying to push her child out the door. And she's overtaken by the smoke. 
She suffocates from the smoke, and then her body is consumed by the flames. The father was away at work, and he hears about it. He rushes to the scene, and his three children are outside crying, and neighbors are around them. And the mother's body was burned, died. That is agape love. That's the interest of others ahead of yourself. Jesus so agape the world, he gave his life to get us out of that burning building to salvation. Aren't you thankful for the agape love of Jesus Christ? Man, we need a lot more of that in our world, don't we? We need a lot more of that in our families. We need a lot more of that in our churches. Nicodemus is asking the wrong question. He, he seems to be asking, does my good outweigh my bad? Have I done enough good things to outweigh my bad? And if I've done more good and I die, I'll go to heaven. If I've done more bad than I've done good, I'll go to hell. And so Nicodemus is constantly battling this works righteousness battle. Am I good enough? Have I done enough? Have I said enough? Have I been nice enough? Have I been moral enough? And the answer is irrelevant question has nothing to do with your goodness. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Did you know there are no good people in heaven? Only forgiven people. Jesus came to cleanse you from your sins, to make you holy, to bring you alive, to put you in heaven. It's a gift from God. So it has nothing to do with your works. It has to do with you putting your faith in the goodness of the person of Jesus Christ. The sinner's worry, the Savior's word, Finally, the Spirit's work. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus is giving a huge principle here. Women have babies. They don't have trees. They don't have fish. They don't have monkeys. They may look like a monkey, but they are not monkeys. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. God gave you a body at your conception. We believe life begins at conception. God gave you a body at conception. And God gives you his Holy Spirit to breathe life into you. Remember when Adam was formed in the Garden of Eden? God formed the dust. He pushed it together and he made this almost like a clay figure maybe, a form of a man. And then the Bible says that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam the breath of life, and he became a living soul. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. Jesus said the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Our missionaries tell us a lot. We hear about missions, and we hear that, I've said this, South America, we have people coming to Christ in droves. In the Horn of Africa, <clears throat> Hundreds of churches are being formed each week in, 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 the, in the Horn of Africa. China, thousands. Now, I know there are, what, 2 billion people that live on China, in China. But there are thousands of people coming to Christ every day in China. Underground churches. The Spirit blows where He wants to blow. We don't dictate that. We don't say, okay, blow over here now. Okay, now go over here. No. Jesus said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this, the wind blows to the south and turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. Solomon's trying to be a, a meteorologist. He's trying to talk about the wind. 
Then he went on to say, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. We don't understand this birth that he gives from above and we're alive. I didn't do anything to make that happen. Neither did you. It's a gift from God. We respond to his generous coming to us. But when that happens, it is a miracle of God. We're born from above. Acts 2.2, Pentecost. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where the people were sitting. 120 believers in this room. 120 in one accord. I think that's the place where it talks about Hondas in the Bible. 120 in one accord. And they're all there. And the Spirit blows in. I mean, it's a mighty rushing wind. And they're all filled with the Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's the wind of God, the ruach in the Hebrew. It's the breath of God. In the New Testament, it's the pneuma. We get our word pneuma. You ever heard that word? Pneumonia. It's the, the Spirit of God and the pneuma of God enters into us. Ezekiel said this, Old Testament prophet. Through Ezekiel, God said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. That's God's prerogative. That's what God does for us. I just want to finish out the story with Joseph and Nicodemus. So you know what happened with Nicodemus. This lost man, this lost man, this hypocrite. At the end of John 19, the same book, later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus now, Joseph was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Nicodemus, the man who earlier visited Jesus at night, he also came. Isn't that good? It's beautiful because as Jesus talks to this Nicodemus, the Spirit of God seems to come and speak to Nicodemus' heart. And Nicodemus is transformed. And now he's coming to help in the burial of Jesus. He leaves his secrecy, his hypocrisy of Judaism, and he comes to Christ. Billy Graham did this every time. Wherever he was, he preached the gospel. When he's in the state house, he preached the gospel. When he was in homes, he preached the gospel. I was reading from him this last week. Everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. He preached the gospel. He talked about the good news of Jesus. It's not about being good. It's about trusting Christ's goodness for you. You must make a decision. Are you going to receive this invitation that Christ brings to you? This born from above invitation. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, here's four words that can help you. I'm going to tell you, this will help you. I have this in my brain when I'm talking to people about Jesus. God, sin, Jesus, choice. There's the gospel. God, sin, Jesus, choice. Would you say that with me? God, sin, Jesus, choice. Say it again. God, sin, Jesus, choice. If you put that in your brain, that's great. When you're talking to somebody about the Lord, talk about God created us in the Garden of Eden, but sin entered in through Genesis 3, the fall of man. We fell away, but God sent Jesus to die on a cross for us, and now he comes and he knocks on your heart's door, and it's your choice. One more time, say it with me. God, sin, Jesus, choice. I'm telling you, that is a great thing to have in your brain when you're talking to people about Christ. Billy Graham preached the gospel wherever he went. And I want to do that too. In my conversations, as I'm talking to you, I can't see into your hearts, nor can you see into mine. 
but everywhere I go, I want to preach the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that can bring true life. We can help people get better. We can reform their ways. We can help them dress better and smell better and wear deodorant and come to church even. But only God can bring new birth from above. And so I present to you today the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel changes hearts. The gospel changes destinies. Remember, Jesus did not come to this earth to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. This is power from above. Maybe you've heard this from Living Waters. You're on an airplane. Somebody comes by and says, hey, you want to put on an airplane? Or put on an airplane. You want to put on, you want to put on a parachute? Why? Well, it'll, it'll make your life better. It'll bring you peace and joy and happiness. Put on this, this parachute. And you're like, well, you convince them. They put it on. Okay, thank you. And they're sitting there and people are looking at them like, that's weird. Why are you putting a knapsack on your back? Well, it's a parachute. Some guy said I'll need it. Make me happier. Make me joyful, loving, kind. You're a weirdo. Pretty soon you kind of go, oh, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to wear this thing. You take it off. Now, same situation. The man comes up and says, hey, this plane, we're at 35,000 feet. But this plane is going down in 10 minutes. Put on this parachute. It will save your life. You'll jump out of the plane. You'll be saved. All of a sudden, it's totally different. You're like, give me that thing. You put it on and you strap it on. And you hold on to it. And people laugh and you go, what are you doing? You crazy weirdo. Why do you have a knapsack on your back? Well, because this plane's going down and I want to be alive. Why don't you put a knapsack on too? Put a parachute on right now. See, it's, it's different. It's a different way to share your faith. This plane is going down, folks. Jesus is our parachute. This plane will go down in sure flames. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved today. The sinner's worry, the Savior's word, the Spirit's work. The Spirit does the work in our hearts. What do you do with that picture? Jesus looking into the eyes of Nicodemus. I want you to replace the man on the right in your mind with yourself. You're standing there before Jesus and you are religious. You are a good person. You're trying your redeemed best. But are you saved? Let Jesus look into your eyes with love and kindness as he gives invitation to you to come unto him. I am a dying man preaching to dying people. I'm telling you the gospel truth. You must be born again. If you are not, it's too late for you after you take your last breath. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. Let's stand together for a closing prayer.